Howdy, This After Dark listeners. Toy Story Land is opening up at Hollywood Studios on June 30th. Book now for some great summer deals and to see what's new. Take a ride on the Slinky Dog Dash coaster, ride the alien swirling saucers with the kiddos, enjoy a new third track on Toy Story Mania, and grab a bite to eat at Woody's Lunchbox. Remember, if you book with me, I'll take care of your dining reservations, fast passes, and create a personalized itinerary just for you and your family. Mention this ad to get $25 off your deposit. Reduce stress by letting me do the planning for you. I make the plans, you make the memories. Find me at WPMagicJourneys.com and on social media at WPMagicJourneys. After Dark Podcast is sponsored by HHNUnofficial.com, the home of Halloween Horror Nights news and rumors all year round. Find us on the web at www.HHNUnofficial.com. So stop the fog machines and clear the cobwebs. It's time for another episode of the podcast that's nearly the same as all the others. Warning, this show contains childish adult content and is intended for immature, mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views spoken are hours and hours alone, not those of any other bugger. If you're easily offended, we strongly suggest finding another podcast. Everybody neat and pretty, then on with the show. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Disaster Dark. Uh, I'm Soap Dish and uh, and it's just me. Um, in six years plus of doing this podcast, I've never done an episode solo before. Um, and it kind of felt appropriate because uh, we did just get the release of uh, Solo, a Star Wars story this week. So it actually kind of ties in quite well synergy wise. Um, but it's just me. There's no one else here uh, or there won't be for a little bit of time um but i will be joined by a guest uh, shortly um i've just done a pre-record um interview which i'll be playing uh, in a minute so um look out for that um i did just want to talk about uh solo as i said uh you know that's just come out this week and it's been a massive surprise i think to a lot of people um it was interesting on the lead up to the film because there'd been a lot of talk well there'd been lots of reports about the trouble production i mean it's it's no surprise to anyone listening um that the original directors uh lord and, and miller who had previously directed such fair as the lego movie um were originally making the film and uh you know halfway through production were let go um, because uh, Lucasfilm were not happy with uh, the footage that they were they were doing, and I was replaced with Ron Howard. So it's been a very troubled production um, from the start. Um, 
and so people were a little bit unsure of what was going to happen but no one was expecting the box office numbers that that happened so um it opened a memorial day weekend which is a big uh holiday weekend in america um normally a weekend when you get a, a quite a big film release um so it, it seemed to be uh, you know a fairly appropriate time to release such a big film um but it opened to 83.3 million dollars uh, over the opening three-day weekend now to put it into to kind of context there you know you're looking at over 200 million for the previous episode uh editions of star wars uh and also 150 million for rogue one when that came out which is also a star wars story so one of the the new kind of spin-offs um that's that's come out um so expectation was that it was going to be bigger uh disney originally were looking at somewhere between 130 and 150 as being the opening uh weekend numbers and it actually opened really strong it opened to the the largest thursday opening of a memorial day weekend it took 14 million dollars in that in that one night um but 83.3 million is is quite a shock um now you know, people trying to work out what's happened. Um, not sure what just fell down, but something made a noise in shock and horror at those numbers being revealed again. Um, but, um, you know, is it because Avengers has been doing so well and continues to be doing so well? Um, Deadpool 2 had come out the weekend before. That's still doing quite well, although God knows why, because it's, it's terrible. Um, but I think, you know, to me it's a combination of factors the first one as you said was a trouble production i think a lot of people were quite worried even though ron howard was brought in to uh to do the film uh, take over the directing of the film and uh, allegedly has reshot about 70 percent of the film um i think people might have been put off by the fact that they'd had this trouble production um also you know the fact that Avengers has done so well uh, and people are still seeing that that may have also had that knock on effect um, but I personally think it's The Last Jedi Hangover and what I mean by that is The Last Jedi again big weekend uh, when it first opened but had nowhere near the the run or box office as uh, Episode 7 The Force Awakens uh, did and it's a film that a lot of Star Wars fans were annoyed or disappointed in when it first came out. I think in time it will be looked at more fondly. When I first saw it on opening day, um, you know, I, I was disappointed with it. I, I didn't enjoy it anywhere near as much as I'd hoped or as much as I'd enjoyed The Force Awakens. When I've rewatched it, and I've seen it three times now, um, you know, I, I really enjoy it and, and every time I enjoy it a bit more um but i think because people were so um disappointed when when it first came out uh, i think that's had a knock-on effect also as well the fact that that film came out in december so you know six months later almost um we've got another star wars film um and so it could be fatigue from that as well that you know with the disappointment of the last jedi for a lot of people plus the fact that this one's being released so near to it 
Um, I think that may have also had a, a knock-on effect. And I wondered what would have happened if Disney had stuck to their, you know, traditional Star Wars release schedule now of releasing those films in December. Would that have affected the box office? Um, you know, we'll never know. But I think that it probably would have been better had they um, released it at another time uh, in the year. Um, it's a shame because I actually think Solo is the best, or not the best, let me let me take that back. It's the most Star Wars-like film since the original trilogy. Now, I really liked The Force Awakens when I first watched it. But when you watch it on repeated viewings, you do realise it's almost like a greatest hits. Um, very, very much about fan service. Um, it ticked the boxes. And to be honest, I think I enjoyed it so much because I'd had to sit through episodes one to three. And they were, you know, my first new movie-going experiences for Star Wars films. I wasn't born when um, the original trilogy first came out. So... Although I watched them on video when I was a kid, that was my first proper cinema experience seeing a, a brand new Star Wars film on the big screen. Um, I remember seeing episode one and just being incredibly disappointed um, after watching it. And I didn't say it at the time, but when I left the cinema and my dad asked me how I felt about it, I, I knew that it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, and, you know, Attack of the Clones I thought was okay, but on further watching realizes how terrible it is and, and how much it stole from other sci-fi properties hello john carter uh and episode three i actually think it's okay it's it's the best of that uh you know episodic trilogy um but it's not a great star wars film and with solo they seem to have really captured the spirit of george lucas's original uh, Star Wars trilogy. It feels very much in that kind of mould. Um, I still don't think that the lead actor, uh, Aiden Heinrich, or I can never pronounce his name properly, but whatever. Um, I think he was good. I think he wasn't playing Harrison Ford. And I don't know, maybe that had a bit of a knock-on effect as well. But actually, he was much better than I expected him to be. Um, you know, the, the standout by far was was Lando Carizian, played by Donald Glover, um, who's phenomenal. Uh, I've been a big fan of his work ever since first seeing him on uh, Community a um, good few years ago now. Um, but he's great in pretty much everything. He had a nice little cameo in Spider-Man Homecoming uh, as well. Uh, but a great actor, and he really was the standout for me. Uh, but it had a good supporting cast. Woody Harrelson was good. Uh, Amelia Clark was good. Um, you know, there was a lot of things that were good about this film. Really, really good. Um, and I really hope word of mouth um, has an impact on this film, because everyone that I know that has actually gone and seen it has really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen a few people that say, mm, yeah, it wasn't that impressive it, but on the whole, I think it was a really good film, and it doesn't deserve to be uh, what will be regarded as the first uh, Star Wars flop. It's much better than that. Uh, it deserves much better than that, and I really hope it does find an audience. Um, you know, Disney will, you know, take the knocks, dust itself down, 
carry on with their plans for Star Wars. I'm, I'm sure everything will carry on as normal. Um, you know, the next Star Wars film is scheduled to be out uh, December in uh, 2019. Um, I don't expect that to change. I, you know, I, I don't think any other changes will, will happen. Uh, they, you know, just before Solo release was released, they announced that um, they're uh, developing a Boba Fett film. Um, I've never got the hype around Boba Fett. Got a cool mask. That's about it. Like I, I don't really understand why he's so beloved. Uh, personally, you know, each to their own. Um, and also they they also said that um they'd signed up uh the actors for two other solo films, and it did kind of leave the the door open for further solo films. And I'd love to see them. I really would. Um, I felt the same way about John Carter. Like, you know, John Carter was set up to be the first of a series of films. I mean, they were based, obviously, on a series of novels, so it was a bit different. Um, and I was disappointed that we, we will never get to see those because of the first one flopping. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with Solo. I don't know if they're going to make any more. I'd really like them to. I think there's still a, a lot more story to tell. Um, but it's a shame it's a shame it doesn't deserve the reputation it's got at the moment um, so yeah I hope I hope things do uh, do pick up and it, it, you know it isn't isn't regarded as a flop that it, it is looking like at the moment it's uh, it's just a shame um, now I said that we've got a guest coming up so I did record an interview with um, Anthony Cortese Um for those that don't remember, we had Tony on about probably about eighteen months ago now, um, regarding a, a documentary he did called uh, Dreamfinders, which was about um, people that had moved down to Orlando um, because of their love of Disney, whether that was because they were bloggers, vloggers, podcasters, uh, or just wanting to to work within that magical bubble um that is disney world um so anthony did a documentary about that uh which he talked about um at, the, at that time and he's got a new film that he's making at the moment so i sat down with tony for an interview um i, I thought it was fascinating i hope you also enjoy it so uh without further ado um here's tony and now I'm joined by Tony Cortese. Um, now, we've had Tony on the show previously um, when you did a film uh, called The Dreamfinders uh, a few years ago. Um, but for for people that aren't familiar um, with you on our show um, or your previous work, would you just be able to start um, with a, a brief introduction of, um, of that film? Sure. Uh, the Dreamfinders is a film that um, essentially focuses on the uh, people who have made a living out of the Disney uh, brand, if you will, not Disney-related folks, uh, bloggers, podcasters, um, people uh, similar like to yourselves who you know got up and moved down to Central Florida to be close to the Disney parks and have uh, ultimately um turned their passion and their love into a business uh a successful business 
um, and uh, continue to do so, uh, you know, disseminating the the uh, the word that uh, you know that is uh, kind of out there on a daily basis as uh, you know Disney releases new um, attractions and uh, you know new little tidbits of what's coming next. Uh, so we spent uh, you know about um, oh I don't know a week or so following them around the parks and just kind of illustrating what it's like uh, to be around these uh, these guys. And uh, th- this was kind of um, this, this was something that was kind of a bit of a passion project for you because you became one of these people, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Uh, and I did not plan it like that. You know, when I started the Dream Finders, I was looking for a way to get down to Central Florida and to start uh, really digging into, uh, you know, I always, I've always wanted to be able to uh, somehow communicate to an audience of what it means and why it's so important for a lot of people to always visit the Disney parks. And I was one of those people. Um, and as I got more involved in the project, uh, you know, something that, you know, ultimately could have been a bad thing, which was I got laid off from my job, uh, you know, that I had worked at for 10 years in New York City um, and initially was very distressed. But I had looked at it as a positive opportunity to do what I had been ultimately dreaming of doing, which was to move to Florida. So I um, took some of my savings and I made the move and I came down here. And I literally have never looked back. It's the best decision I ever made. And it's been roughly two years. Uh, It was two years in March since I came down here. Um, And uh, I just bought a house. Uh, I can hear the Magic Kingdom steam train in the morning when I'm walking my dog. And I can see the Magic Kingdom fireworks from my backyard. So it's life is pretty good. I think actually when we when we last uh, talked to you about uh, you know when that film was coming out I think you just got down there I think that's just when you moved actually it, it was it was you know I moved to celebration uh, because I figured celebration was the obvious place to go and why not if I'm going to go in I might as well go all in um, but uh, as I lived in celebration and began to look for places to actually buy because my you know I, you know the, the 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 main goal you know at the end was to buy a home and, and get settled here um you know it was just uh really celebrations very very expensive it's not so bad to rent there but when you want to live there your money doesn't and you're in florida you figured you know florida the, the cost of living is pretty low um you know you just move 10 minutes outside of celebration and you can double uh, what you get uh, in celebration not that that's a bad thing because celebration is a wonderful place to live it's such a especially for children for families with small kids it's a great place to to grow your family um but i just moved just a few miles up the road to winter garden and i just love it here i'm actually closer to the parks here in winter garden than i was down in celebration so um, <laughs> I'm, I'm living the dream <laughs> now it's quite funny because um I was discussing celebration with um, some of the other hosts recently, and they weren't very familiar with it. And I became aware of celebration um, on my second trip, or leading up to my second trip to to Walt Disney World about eight years ago now. Um, yeah. And I just read about it in a in a guidebook, uh, and 
thought, oh, this sounds interesting. And, you know, looked a bit more into it. And I suppose really, uh, you know, Celebration will tie into this, this film in a way. But um, for for people that aren't aware of what Celebration is or, or, or how it came to be, um, could you just explain a little bit about Celebration to those that may not know? Yeah, well, you know, Celebration is, the, it's the town that Disney built down here. Um, in fact, Michael Eisner uh, was the one who uh, had, you know, moved forward with the idea. And it is a, a town that Disney built. Disney no longer owns the town, though they are on the board of directors uh, because it is so closely, you know, uh, synonymous with Disney. And if you're in Celebration, it feels like you're in Disney. Uh, if you've ever seen the show, the movie, The Truman Show, uh, everybody, everybody says celebration feels like you're in the Truman Show. <laughs> I, uh, I I kind of uh, slightly rudely described it as um, the Truman Show meets Stepford Wives, uh, which does sound a bit insulting when you say it again out loud. Um, but you know, we went there. Um, we went there on a, on a Sunday afternoon, uh, me and my wife, and I mean, it is a picture perfect town, isn't it? It is. It's a little pretentious for my taste, I have to say. Um, you know, growing up in the tri-state New York area, um, you know, it's a little bit more, uh, I don't know, uh, personalities are not quite as uh, dialed back in the New York area. Um, and, and while I've got a lot of great friends and I've met a lot of great people, um, you know, I just really wanted to go someplace outside of celebration as i said it was not worth the expense for me to try to live there because i work in celebration you know i i um, work for the disney company and um i i report to their offices uh in celebration every day so i still get to be in celebration um my cousins uh live in celebration so uh i can visit them and uh, it's, a, it's really an awesome place to, to hang out. And they've got all kinds of festivities. They do the snow like they do at Magic Kingdom uh, in the wintertime. They build a, <laughs> uh, like a mock hockey rink. Um, where it's not really ice, obviously. It's like uh, plastic material. Mm. It's, kind of, it's kind of funny when you watch it all because, uh, you know, you're in Florida and essentially around Christmas time, it's it's cooled off a little bit, but not quite cold enough for it to to snow. And, and but they they bring the magic and they make it happen. <laughs> do they do they still have the pie festival? The pie festival. I am not familiar with the pie festival. Why don't you enlighten me? Well, I mean, again, I'm I'm going back about eight years ago, but um, they used to have a, a pie festival, which was a few days uh, long, and it was it would just be where. Um, lots of people, I think it was mainly, um, you know, people around town, um, would produce pies and, uh, you would be able to eat all these different, uh, you know, sweet pies that they'd made and, and they would kind of judge them and, um, you know, someone would be awarded the best pie maker. <laughs> okay. Who um, doesn't love pie? <laughs> I mean, that is definitely a celebration type of event, you know, they have, uh, they do a car show. Uh, every year, and in fact, um, it's uh, one. I, my, I mean, I've heard that it's the most one of the most successful uh, car shows uh, in the entire country. 
um, and they bring in all kinds of really cool, um, you know, specialty cars and, and sports cars, and it's a lot of fun. They do events like that all, all year long, um, and they get the community involved. And, um, you know, we had the event um, that I guess we'll talk about in a little bit with uh, Disney legend Bob Gurr at the Celebration Town Hall, uh, which was where we had the event. So everybody is super supportive, and the community is really, really strong. Um, you know, it's, it's a place where Disney fans want to go. You know, it's, it's very much a tourist area now. I'm, I'm seeing it get much busier even in the last two years from when I oh, wow. first there yeah yeah because it, it always seems to it said like we were trying to find directions and we were staying at pop century at the time and uh we asked like the concierge um you know how easy is it to get celebration and they're like oh I, I, where what is that and uh we was kind of a bit surprised it's like well it's it's a town at disney built surely everyone knows where this is but um i think it's something that um was a uh, something you knew if you was like a big fan but i think as you say over the years it starts to slowly get a bit more um recognized and um you know tourist aware um than what it used to be and i don't know if you've you've ever heard this but um they actually have an equivalent at disneyland paris um there's a town they built there called val de europe um and it's one train stop away there's like a tube train that goes from Paris to Disneyland Paris. It's one stop away on the tube. But when they mm. built uh, what was Euro Disney then, um, they built this little town. Um, it's it's not like Celebration um, in that you don't get like the white picket fences and the grass. It's very urban in that way. But um, all the buildings are, are very pristine oh. and particularly designed. So it's got that feel of being built by an architect, like the whole city. Um, mm-hmm. so it's got some similarities there, but, um, it hasn't got that, that old time American feel that I think you get at Celebration. What, what is the name of the town? It's called Val the Europe. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I have not heard of it. Um, uh, I'll have to check that out online, um, at some point and see, uh, but I have not ever heard of it. I'm surprised. And I'm really surprised that the concierge didn't know um about celebration because you know so many of even just the disney employees alone work out of celebration i mean celebration is a main hub uh for disney cast members uh, working as well so and obviously because of its iconic nature mm. uh, having been around for uh, more than 20 years and and being built by disney you'd think everybody in this area would would know about it but um I, I guess this guy was the was the exception to the rule. It could also be to do with my accent, because to be honest, I remember um, back when McDonald's was still a thing at uh, what was then Downtown Disney, um, I had a, a great conversation with somebody when I didn't want uh, a slice of tomato in my burger. It was only when I said tomato that they understood what I was saying. Um, so you are, in, you are in Florida down here, and they... They do speak a little differently down here. <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, so uh, on to onto the film that um, we're here to discuss, really, which is your new project, which is called uh, Walt Disney Master of Dreamers. Um, so could you just tell us a little bit, for those that haven't heard of it yet, uh, what that film is actually about? Well, Walt Disney Master of Dreamers was a response... Um, uh, from me 
based on the documentary that PBS did uh, on Walt Disney. I'm not sure if you've seen that. It was a two-part documentary. Yes. Yeah. Each part was two hours long, so it was, I, I believe it was a total of four hours. Um, and while they focused on so many of so many great things on Walt, I felt they sort of, um, you know, they really honed in on a lot of the negative parts of him, um, and they relied quite a bit on historians and uh, authors and, you know, uh, uh, newspaper writers and people in the media to tell the story. They did interview some of the people that are in my film, but they really uh, didn't use their material all that much. Uh, they really kind of focused on Walt Disney's, um, you know, the strike that happened uh, with his uh, with his illustrators and animators. Um, and it was really kind of a negative twist on a guy who, you know, really produced some uh, some great things for, for not only for America, but for the world. Mm. Uh, and when I saw that documentary, I kind of, you know, stepped back and I said, wow, you know, here are all these great people who are still alive, who worked with Walt Disney, and they're barely tapping their knowledge base, their relying on they want they chose to focus on the negative so when i saw that i instantly uh knew that 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 this this subject matter needed to be um my next the 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 subject of my next project uh and and you know they focused on walt disney's entire life uh my film uh, walt disney master of dreamers is going to focus on uh the period uh at the right before the 1964 New York World's Fair and take us through the history of the fair, uh, how the fair inspired, uh, you know, Walt Disney to do the things that he was going to do down the road, one of them being Epcot, uh, and how important the fair was into those ideas. So it, it, it really picks up after Disneyland when he proved to the world that Disneyland was a success. Uh, you know, the eastern part of the United States uh, really had not, you know, seen Disneyland. They had done some, uh, I think, some uh, market research, and they, they knew that uh, essentially people east of the Mississippi uh, had really hadn't gone west to California. And you got to remember back in those days, air travel wasn't what it was today. So, mm. um, Disney audiences really hadn't seen that Disney type of entertainment. And the fair in New York for two years was the first taste. And that, I think, proved to Walt that, uh, okay, we can do something here on the East Coast. Uh, it's just a matter of where are we going to do it and what are we going to do? Because I'm sure, as you know, Walt Disney wasn't the type of person who liked to repeat himself. He didn't like to do the same thing twice. Uh, he knew in order to, to do uh, an East Coast Disneyland, uh, Disneyland 2.0, if you will, uh, he needed to uh, have someplace that was going to be warm on the East Coast all year. And when he settled on Central Florida, that was uh, the ticket because of, you know, uh, as the story goes, the way that the highways intersected from the north and the south and the east and the west, it was a perfect location. So he went ahead. Uh, and um, started buying up parcels of land 
you know, created these little shell companies so nobody knew it was Walt Disney who was buying up the land. But what the world didn't know was that he wasn't just going to build another Disneyland. He was going to do something just absolutely spectacular and radical, uh, you know, when he was going to uh, build Epcot, when he pitched the idea for Epcot at that famous news conference that, that I think we've all seen with the governor of Florida. Um, the world still didn't really know what he was planning. Uh, and then when he did the film, the Epcot film, and made the uh, and, and kind of brought everybody in, uh, you know, peeled back the curtain and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to build a progress city. People said they didn't really understand. Uh, and I think, you know, when you look at what is here today for Epcot, uh, you know, that's why Epcot never became, you know, Walt's Epcot, because it was just something that could not be accomplished without Walt Disney. He he knew how to sell it. He knew how to get the corporations involved. He knew how to make it a reality because it was going to be something really, really unlike anything that ever existed in the entire world. And that's what Walt Disney always did. You know, he always went, he did, he, his ideas were radical. When you think of um, feature-length animation, completely radical. Nobody believed in it. Nobody believed in Disneyland. They told him, don't do it. And um, when he pitched Epcot, I think they had already kind of gotten a taste of, uh, you know, pretty much everything that this guy wants to do is going to be a success because he believed so much in his ideas. Um, and that's what the film is about. It's all about that period. It's about how his team of Imagineers rallied together uh, after his uh, untimely death in 1966. And what did they have to go through to figure out how to do all this stuff without their leader. Um, and it's told by everyone who's still alive who actually worked with Walt Disney during that period. Bob Gurr, Roly Crump, Richard Sherman. Uh, we're going to be going out to California to interview Floyd Norman, the first black animator. Um, so we're, you know, my idea is to take as many of these stories from the people who actually worked in a creative role with Walt Disney and understand what made this guy tick and what were their experiences building uh, Walt Disney World, the big Florida project, uh, or as Walt called it when it was in its secret stages, they called it Project X. No one knew what that meant hmm. until much later. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, a lot of people... I, I, I don't know the, the full statistics on this, so there is a bit of assumption, but, you know, I think because of its location and, and, and what it is, I think you find that more people have gone to, to Walt Disney World that have never gone to Disneyland um, globally. Because... Disney World, Disney World is, a, is an international destination. Yes. Disneyland is more of a local park. Mm. It's, it's really all locals. I mean, you do get, you know, international tourists, but nothing like Walt Disney World uh, in Florida. No. Uh, that's it. I mean, to be honest, you know, obviously I'm based in the UK, and if I go into a travel agent's and I say um, I, I want to book a trip to a Disney park, I'll be given two options. It will be Disneyland Paris, because obviously that's the nearest park, or it's Walt Disney World. You never, you never get asked that question, what Disney park do you want to go to? They are your two options. You can obviously book 
uh, a trip to to California, and they can get your tickets and all that kind of stuff. But you know, Disney World, uh, especially, I think, is designed, as you say, for that international tourist, where it's so it's such a, a, a bigger park, and that's got more to do, as you say, with Project X or the Florida Project, where because they were able to buy up so much land, they were able to build all these things. Whilst with Disneyland, the problem there was that because it was announced, uh, it was harder for him to to buy the land, or people didn't want to sell because people will be, be able to capitalise. I mean, I was looking to go to Disneyland um, recently, and what surprises me is when you, um, you know, I, I was looking on a on a hotel website uh, trying to find accommodation. Because there's only, uh, is it is there three hotels on property now? Or is it still two hotels? At, at where, at Disneyland? Yeah. Uh, you've got the uh, Grand Californian, the Disneyland Hotel, and, uh, oh God, um, you know, oh, and the uh, Paradise Pier, I think, is, uh, or no, maybe I'm mixing them up. I'm not sure. I want to say it's two, maybe three. Yeah, I'm uh, sure there's a third. I'm sure there's a third, but I don't know if there's a third currently. But I know, uh, you know, I've read about a third. Uh, but if you if you look on a on a map, you know, there are all these hotels within walking distance. Um, and what surprises me, you know, because my first Disney experience was Disneyland Paris, um, and when I went to, to Disney World was what amazed me was when I, you know, drove in there for the first time and you get the, the, the welcome to Walt Disney World sign, is once you get past that, is how long it takes you to get anywhere near a park. Because yeah. there is just so much land. And coming from Disneyland Paris, where it's very similar to Disneyland California, in that you can walk between Disneyland Paris, Magic Kingdom, and Walt Disney Studios. You know, they mm-hmm. are walking distance from each other. Um, you know, Disney World, you, you can't you, you can't do that. You can't stay at Pop Century and walk to the park. Or no. you know, do you know what I mean? You need to get transport around the place. It is it is that big and I think that's what surprises people when they go there for the first time. Um yeah. but I think you I, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier as well when you were talking about that PBS documentary and what's different about a documentary like that and a documentary uh or documentarian like yourself in uh when you get a, a film like that made but for a big company, you might not get that. I don't want to sound corny, but that that, that kind of super fan, that person that really understands uh, what it means to be a Disney fan, and it's somebody just trying to tick some boxes. And you know, and you found the people to speak to, and the people that really have that voice and have that experience, and you're able to get their insight. Um, which I think is often quite missed with with these documentaries um, yeah. that you sometimes get. Um, but Epcot, that's that's the thing. Now, I sometimes get this wrong, and I haven't looked this up, so I'm either going to be really great or terrible. And um, was Epcot the experimental prototype city of tomorrow? Yeah, experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Right. Um, is the, I, I believe, the term that, right. uh, you know, it, it's been called City of Tomorrow. And I think I actually saw a interview with Walt at one point where he called it the City of Tomorrow. But if you watch his, uh, his, his um, movie of Epcot, it's the Community of Tomorrow. And that's, and that's exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to create a community. Um, and, and a lot of people... Um, 
and, and you know, and, and you just step back a moment and you, you, you talked uh, in your previous statement about the amount of land here and how you're so insulated. Uh, that was all part of his plan for Epcot. You know, mm. what he learned from Disneyland is he didn't like the idea uh, that you could see because once Disneyland opened in California, all the hotels started popping up. Uh, and he didn't like the idea of being able to see the outside world. He felt it ruined the story. Uh, so he, you know, and that was one, that was another great thing about Walt Disney is he he learned uh, from his mistakes and he never made the same mistake twice. So when he built Walt Disney, well, when he bought the land for Walt Disney World, he knew he wanted to insulate the hell out of this place so that when you were in, when you were on the property. You were really in the bubble. I mean, mm. there, you were just completely immersed. I mean, Disney, Walt Disney World, the property here is twice the size of the island of Manhattan. Think about that. <laughs> Think about the island of Manhattan and then double it. And that's the amount of property they have here. Um, and they have so much property that they haven't even touched yet. So when Walt said, you know, uh, I can't remember what the exact quote is, but uh, something to the effect of, uh, we have more land here uh, to create, you know, all the dreams that we could possibly imagine. Um, and I know I didn't get that perfect, but it's some it's definitely in the right nature uh, of what he was trying to do. Um, so when I drive in through the property and I have to drive, uh, I drive through those gates every day when I go to work. And um, it's it's pretty spectacular when you see. Uh, what the what the original dream was and that is that is really what the theme of of this uh, film this documentary uh, master of dreamers that i'm working on i really want to understand what went into the decisions what was it like to be with him when he was the most excited about this and what the heck did you guys do when he died suddenly because you know he died only a few months after he made the announcement for epcot he didn't even know he was sick and you know he's got these big plans and all of a sudden you know he's gone and now what do you do and it was his brother roy with uh, conversing with his uh, with walt's wife lillian uh uh about hey what do we do here you know because it could not have happened if lillian said you know don't do it that would have been the end of it and you would have never seen walt disney world uh, but Roy pushed through, he made sure the Magic Kingdom was open, and just like his brother, right after Magic Kingdom opened, I mean, it was only a month or two, uh, I think, uh, his brother Roy passed away. Uh, it was like that was his mission, to complete what his brother was trying to do, and, uh, and now it was up to Walt's team of Imagineers to try to figure out how to do Epcot without him. Because Magic Kingdom was a piece of cake for them. They had already mm. done Disneyland. Magic Kingdom was just Disneyland 2.0. But Epcot, you know, I mean, that was something totally different. That's, you know, Epcot was out of, you know, a Ray Bradbury novel. I mean, it was <laughs> something really just radical and something people just didn't understand. Um when I was interviewing Bob Gurr, who I'm sure you know, Bob um, was the guy who d built the monorail for Walt. He did the Autopia cars, the Matterhorn bobsleds, all that good stuff. Um, Bob told me a great story. He said, you know, we were in the Disney plane and we were flying around the country 
and we were visiting and meeting with uh, corporate executives from Westinghouse, from General Electric, General Motors, etc. And he said when Walt was pitching them the idea of Epcot, you could see how excited they were, but they you could also see they didn't have a darn idea of what he was really trying to do. It was just something that it would, he had to he had to be around to package it, to sell it, and to create it because. When you think about what Epcot was going to be, they were going to be their own government. They were going to be, they were going to have their own voting district, uh, their own school system. I mean, uh, I'm not sure how much you know about what the original Epcot was going to be, but it was just really something unique and, and quite different. Well, I know there wasn't a, a world pavilion. Um, as you say, you know, and, and I, again, I think this is a testament to just what a creative genius that that Walt was is that I don't think anyone else would have had the cojones to try and attempt what he was trying to attempt. And in some ways, maybe the reason, you know, maybe, maybe it would never have happened had Walt survived in the way that he envisioned it. But at the same time, I don't think anyone would have been able to have executed anything near what he had in his head except him. Like, I don't think anyone taking on that mantle of this, this massive project that he had would have been able to have done in, you know, half the things that Walt had envisioned. Yeah, I mean, look, he... Um, and again, you know, everything Walt ever did was, was kind of radical, uh, he was always trying to, you know, he would call it plus, plus it, plus himself, plus the attractions, plus the ideas. And he was very fascinated just as a human being with the, uh, with just technology in general and particularly American technology. You know, he really, he really thought American technology could solve the problems of the world. And that was what Epcot was, was going to be essentially based around um i'll give you a a quick little run through of how epcot was going to be laid out it would have been uh it would have been a city uh in the center of the city would have been the main city center which would have been covered in a dome an air-conditioned dome uh it would have been terribly big that city center but it would have been big enough so that you can walk uh from one end to it to another uh there would have been outlying areas that had, um, you know, community uh, housing. Uh, they would have had kind of urban housing in the center. And then as you went out, you'd have uh, more suburban housing. And then as you went even farther out, uh, you know, it would be much broader and there would be uh, houses and homes and so forth. And all of that stuff would have been connected through the people mover. And the people mover being the, the, the transportation system that he uh, created uh, when he did Disneyland, um, and he saw that that would have been a great solution for kind of short distance transportation. You would have had the monorail that would have connected the airport, which was would have been at the north end or the south end, I'm not sure, of the property. So you would have flown into the property. You would have gotten on the monorail. The monorail would take you through Epcot, and to the north end of the property, which is where Magic Kingdom and all the resorts would be. So it was really quite a visionary experience. He wanted to have these corporations working synonymously together 
in research and development facilities. So you would have had General Electric sharing ideas with Westinghouse and General Motors sharing ideas with um, uh, you know other corporations. And then they would have taken these new technologies that they would have developed and they would put them in the homes of the people living in Epcot and they would test them and they would see if they worked. It was truly a city of the future, a progress city. Uh, and I think the world would be quite a different place today if Epcot had succeeded. Uh, it's, uh, it's just too bad his guys couldn't have figured it out. But I don't think anybody could have figured it out. I mean, it was Walt Disney's big idea and most of it was in his head. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, when you when you listen to that, you do have to, like, say, was Walt completely nuts at that point? Um, yeah. Because it was, it, it was such uh, a future-thinking vision, like you say. I mean, if anyone's seen the footage of, of Walt talking about it, I think it was, he did uh, a bit of it on, like, the, the wonderful world of Disney. Um, I think that's where I saw it. Obviously not when it was first broadcast because I wasn't born. Um, but you know when he was talking, you know, and he had this this model, um, and I haven't watched it in quite some time. But wasn't what is now Spaceship Earth quite similar to what he thought Epcot was going to look like? No, no, not at all. Spaceship Earth was uh, was something that they just kind of devised as you know an iconic structure of right. what Epcot should be. You know, every each of the Disney parks has an iconic structure. Mm. Uh, Epcot would would have been, uh, you know, the the geosphere, if you will, and and it, and it's uh, eerily familiar to you know what it looked like at the World's Fair at the New York World's Fair. If you look at the different World's Fairs around the world, uh, you know they all have kind of a big globe type of thing. Um, but Epcot wasn't going to be a theme park, you know. It was going to be a functional city, a place mm. to live, and where future technologies would be developed. Um, it was very science fiction, you know, what he was trying to do. Um, I, I and, and that part of it is really what fascinates me more than anything about Walt Disney is his is that whole period. You know, I call it the magic time, uh, the period during the '60s when he was really kind of working through these big ideas that had been festering in his head for many years. And it took, um, you know, he, he just knew how to go and put stuff out there and, and play with it and see if it worked. Because, again, you know, Disney movies were not that successful in the East Coast. So he wasn't really sure if Disney theme park entertainment would be a go of it. But when he saw how well-received he was at the New York World's Fair, he, he, he knew that, that that's what he had to do, and that's, that's what he was uh, ultimately going to do. And it's just a real shame that he never got a chance to experience it, you know, because, boy, what a place this would be. Oh, I, as you say, it would, it would probably have, have shaped uh, the world we live in now. Um, you know, I, I have no doubt in that. I mean, if you look at the impacts that... You know, j just Disneyland and, and Disney World have had on the world, and they're theme parks. Do you know what I mean? But they have helped shape um, how people go on holiday, um, how how people perceive theme parks. You know, they've had well, he it was it was he invented theme parks. There were no such things. 
You know, it's a great story when, uh, you know, Marty Sklar, I, I heard him tell a story about Walt, uh, you know, when he was talking about, because at the time, you know, theme parks were non-existent. All there were were carnivals. Um, you know, in Europe, I think his idea for, for Disneyland came from, I don't remember what the name of it was, but it was uh, it was some park, I want to say it was in Sweden or It was uh, Denmark. I, I think it was I think it was called Tivoli. Uh, yes. or Tivali or something. But it was it's in Den- it's still it's still there now. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's in Denmark. But I think that was probably um, the only real uh, proper theme park that existed at, at that time. Right. And they didn't even know it was a theme park. It was no. just a place that was <laughs> You know, it was clean and it was well managed. Um, and, you know, when he brought the idea of Disneyland to everyone, uh, you know, Marty said to or not Marty, but someone Marty was relaying this story. And he had said that, you know, they said, well, Walt, you know, you can't do an amusement park. It's it's you know, those things are seedy and they're dirty and there are questionable characters who. Uh, uh, you know, who frequent these places. You don't want your friends and family there. He said, well, my park isn't going to be like that, you know. So he had the idea already flushed out in his head many years before he even brought it to anybody's attention. And uh, uh, it was a radical, crazy idea. You know, who cares about landscaping? Um, You know, just all of the little things that were never done before. And when you think about what Disneyland is, you know, Walt is a guy who made movies. He made animations. And you would go to the movie theater and you would sit in the movie theater and you'd watch the movie. Well, how about if you could actually walk into the movie and be part of the movie? And that's what Disneyland is. That's what Magic Kingdom is. That's what all the Disney parks are. You know, you're walking into a movie. You are now part of the show. How cool is that? Well, that's it. And I mean, the thing is, you know, obviously there's lots of theme parks across America. Um, We have, obviously, theme parks in the UK and in Europe. Um, And I recently went to uh, to Legoland in in the UK. And what what was surprising when you go there is that even now, you go into a theme park and you can see that there are some similarities... But at the same time, there is nothing. There is still nothing like a Disney theme park. You can call yourself a theme park because it's a park that has a theme. I get that, um, but they don't seem to have been able to capture the the magic that this kind of breathtaking view you get once you walk through the gates of any Disney park. Like every Disney park is the same. Is that you know you walk in through the main entrance and you walk up to main street or whatever the the equivalent is because not every park has a main street um and then you are you see this stunning castle you know every park has that and you don't need to have a castle i'm not saying like everything park should have a castle but do you know what i mean like the nowhere seems to have this this thing where you walk in and suddenly you're like wow i'm in a completely different world but Disney parks seem to always be able to capture that that magic and that that way of you know whether you're three or ninety three, you immediately feel like you're a kid again. Yeah, and and you know you got to remember he doesn't you know when he built Disneyland you know he had already done 
know, he had already established himself as the great Walt Disney, right? I mean, he had how many successful feature-length animations under his belt. So he was capitalizing on the nostalgia that he had already created with these movies. Mm. Um, And that, I think, is why Disney is so special. That's why when you walk into Universal, you don't get those warm and fuzzy feelings. I mean, you do, I guess, to a point, but... Uh, you know, you're you're falling back on the memories of your childhood uh, when you walk into a Disney park, and it's based on so many years of of growing up and feeling that nostalgia. Now, when you come to Disney, it's like, you know, even me today. I mean, when I walk into a Disney park, I still feel that nostalgia. Uh, it's uh, it's a tang- it's something tangible. You just Almost can't put your finger quite on it, um, but Disney has, uh, you know, Walt worked very hard to to create those those warm and fuzzy feelings, and to transfer those to real life is is genius. I mean, how do you do that? You know, uh, it's like the Beatles. How did the Beatles do what they did? Uh, nothing like that had been done before, but they were visionaries. They saw something that nobody else could see, and that was what Walt Disney was doing and that's what the film is about it's it's about the, that magic time when he was really kind of moving forward into into creating ideas that were really true to him uh you know and epcot was was the big one it was his last big idea you know yeah and and you know as you as you said earlier like you know he he left us too young he did leave us too young with an incredible legacy but at the same time, these things that unfortunately never got to, to be finalised and realised, that will always wonder what if. And I think some of that is, is, is sad and tragic because we didn't. But at the same time, what, what a legacy to, to leave. Um, and, and, you know, who knows? Had, it, had he, you know, not died when he did, you know, there's every chance, uh, probably more than that, actually, that... Epcot would never have happened in the way that he he envisioned it. Um, so in some ways, that that's also I think maybe a positive because there'd have been nothing worse than him trying to have got something done that didn't fulfil that kind of ambition that he he had in his head. Um, and I mean the thing is, I mean obviously the Epcot name was used and some of the the concepts were, were used and you know we've got. Um, a, a theme, but we you know we've been left with a theme park which, for some people, is their favourite. Um, it, it divides people, I think, actually, Epcot, because you, oh, know, yeah. you do get people that love it, and, and some people that are quite happy to like spend as little time there as possible. Um, I think Epcot is a fascinating park. Um, it's, it certainly is a, literally a park of two halves as well. Um, oh, yeah. But I think it's it's so clever. I mean, I think my only um, the, the thing I dislike the most about Epcot is uh, is visiting the UK Pavilion and seeing this <laughs> this kind of weird committee version of what England is like. Um, and yeah. I just want to uh, point out as well to anyone listening that if you go to the Rose and Crown uh, and you order fish and chips, that is definitely not what you get in the UK. That's okay. some weird. I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it's it's fish that's been deep fried, 
But our fish and chips in the UK is nothing like what they serve at the Rose and Crown. It's 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 far superior. So uh, please come and visit uh, and try that out if you're lucky enough to do so. Um, what I wanted to ask you as well, um, obviously you did a little bit of uh, of name dropping a bit earlier on about some of the people you've been able to get on the project so far. Um, I just wondered if there was anyone that you've got on on like a short list that you've not been able to get yet or that you haven't been able to reach out to that you think you'd like to um interview for the project oh sure i mean i i I had reached out to marty uh marty sklar um a few times uh and um you know he declined uh but you know marty was really he wasn't doing anything unless uh you know anything like that uh unless uh, the company told him that it was okay to do. Um, you know, he was really a patriot for the for the company right up until the end. Um, but Marty would have been, I mean, he would have been one of the best people to get because he was so heavily involved in Epcot and in those. Uh, you know, Bob called um, Bob Gurr used to call it the Wednesday morning meeting. They would get together every Wednesday morning, put their heads together, and try to figure out what the hell the old man was trying to do with Epcot. <laughs> uh, and eventually, you know, they gave up on on trying to do Walt's Epcot, and they thought about what they, you know, what they could do themselves. Um, but uh, Marty would have been a great person to have. Uh, I would love to get Ron Miller, Walt's son-in-law. Uh, Ron would have a tremendous perspective on just Walt the man himself. Uh, you know, Ron would, would, would be a big, big win, um, because, uh, you know, he was married to Walt's daughter, Diane, and, uh, he worked with Walt. He, I think, uh, Ron was, uh, president of the company at, at one point. So he had a really unique perspective. Uh, and I would love to have Dick Nunes, uh, who has declined multiple times. <laughs> uh, he just doesn't do these types of things, um. You know, and I, I got to tell you, when when we had the event here in in celebration last month, uh, and we flew Bob Gurr out here uh, from Los Angeles to come and talk about Walt Disney with um, with my good friend and, and author Jeff Barnes. He Jeff is the Jeff is also in the film. He's uh, the um, author of the of the book The Wisdom of the uh, The Wisdom of Walt. Jeff also teaches the only accredited college course on Walt Disney's leadership abilities. So Jeff was a great person to have talking with Bob. And, um, when we brought Bob here, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the club 33 that's in, uh, Anaheim at Disneyland, they opened, uh, four club 33s. Well, they're not all open yet, but there's going to be a club 33 in each of the four parks here. Mm. And, And, um, they invited Bob and I and Jeff, well, they really invited Bob, but, you know, <laughs> they didn't really invite us, but we were there and they they kindly let us come with Bob. Um, and, you know, we, we were able to, uh, to to go to the Club 33 with um, with Bob and, um, you know, experience uh, that whole thing. Wow. Um, yeah, it was pretty spectacular. The Club 33 here, the one at Epcot, um, uh, is... Uh, is really just a gorgeous, gorgeous facility. It's right above the American Pavilion, and each of the four Club 33s they uh, they are themed after Walt's world travels. 
so each one has a different theme to it. Um, and, and I got to tell you, it, it is just we, we. I mean, we spent the whole day there. We were they. They had us. They picked us up with a VIP tour guide, brought us into the backstage entrance of Epcot before the park was open, and we were there from ten thirty in the morning till like five in the afternoon. And Bob was one of the legends who were going to be there. And they wanted him to be there to sign autographs for guests and members and so forth. Um, And I had mentioned about Dick Nunes. Dick was also supposed to be there. But Bob's schedule, uh, we had to get him to the airport so we couldn't hang out and wait for Dick. Um, But I thought to myself, God, if I can meet Dick today, I could maybe convince him to at least let me interview him, you know, get a, an hour, you know, with him to talk about, because uh, as far as, you know, Dick Nunes was, he was so instrumental. He would have been, God, he would have been a real gem to have. Um, but these guys, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're not many of them left. These guys and girls, uh, they're, they're dying uh, and they're leaving uh, this uh, wonderful planet uh, as quickly as, uh, you know, it's too quick. And uh, I, I, my my whole goal is to document as much as I can about this from the people who actually were with him. So the more people that I can get interviewed before the film is released, uh, will, it's just going to be contribute to the to the success and to the validity of it, because I really want people to hear the stories and the history of it all from the people who were actually there, who actually worked with Walt, you know, in that creative role and knew, uh, you know, and actually were there and part of it. Uh, it's once they're gone, that's it. It's over. You know, you'll never get those stories again from from the first hand. So, no, that, that, that's it. I mean, you never know. Uh, you know, for, for all I know, Dick could be a, a huge a fan of the After Dark Network, he could be uh, a subscriber to this show and think, you know what? You know, after hearing what Tony's got to say, I need to sit down with that guy. Um, you never know. You never know what doors might open. Um, but that's that's an incredible list to have uh, of people. And you know, fingers crossed as this project goes on and and develops. You know, who knows? They may change their mind and and come back to you. Um, you mentioned you you did that uh, evening with uh, a few weeks ago. So uh, was that done as part of um, trying to get this film uh, completed? Uh, It was really a fundraiser. Um, It was a panel discussion that we did uh, in celebration with Bob Gurr and Jeff Barnes. And um, it was, you know, it's designed to raise money uh, for the production of the film. Um, And as I had said, uh, we partnered with the... Um, well, I had said this to you earlier, but I don't think we actually said it on the show, but I had worked, um, I developed a relationship with the Give Kids the World organization. Um, Give Kids the World works in partnership with uh, Make-A-Wish, and uh, Disney is a big supporter of them. They offer uh, week-long, cost-free vacations to families that have terminally ill or very sick children uh, who would have otherwise not been able to afford to go to Disney World. Um, so we, we raised some money for them. We're partnering with them. Uh, my goal is to have a preamble before the film 
that pays tribute to the Give Kids the World organization so that everybody knows who they are. Because, you know, Walt Disney's original dream of building a place where parents and kids can have fun together is really uh, aligns perfectly with the vision of Give Kids the World. Uh, the only difference is those families can't afford to come here and they make that possible. So uh, wherever this film will live, uh, the message of Give Kids the World will live also. And, you know, being that Disney is such a big supporter of them, I'm really hoping that they'll understand that, you know, hey, you know, this is something that aligns with all of our uh, needs. And um, we'll see what happens. But uh, the event was super successful. You, we streamed it live on Facebook. I'm not sure if you've seen that or not, but you can go to my um, uh, Facebook. Uh, there's the Facebook page for the for the uh, uh uh, film. It's um, I think it's uh, Master of Dreamers, uh, Master of Dreamers movie or something on Facebook. Um, if you check that out, you could actually watch the uh, it's like a two hour live stream, uh, and it was really magnificent. I mean, uh, it, the, the 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 amount of information that came out of that it was really fun. Bob was on fire. He really was. I mean, I've interviewed Bob four times. And I've been trying to get things out of him that, you know, just wasn't able to, you know, either didn't think of it or whatever. But the stuff that he talked about at that event uh, was just gold, um, really personal details about his experiences of working with Walt Disney. It was just a tremendous event. And I'm happy to say that we're presently working on um, a show in California. We're going to go out to Anaheim. And we're going to do a really, really big show out there, as Ed Sullivan would say, a really big show. <laughs> um, and we're going to put it together because that's where all the Imagineers live. I mean, that's where, you know, they're, they're all out there. Uh, so we're hoping to have uh, Richard Sherman and uh, Rolly Crump and all of them. But again, you know, those folks aren't getting any younger and we want to we want to be respectful. Uh, but we've got a great show with um uh, and California, it's in the planning stages right now. It's going to be in mid-October, uh, and it's going to be essentially a panel discussion. <coughs> Excuse me, a panel discussion similar to the show we had here in Florida, um, but it's going to be with uh, Bob Gurr. Um, we're hoping Rowley and Richard, also Jeff Barnes, who was at the show in celebration, and Sam Genoway who's also in the film. Sam is a Los, an urban planner in Los Angeles. He's got a tremendous perspective on what Walt was trying to do. Imagine an urban planner dissecting what Walt Disney was trying to do for Epcot. Walt, you know, Sam brings an incredible, uh, uh, you know, perception to this whole story. And Floyd Norman, the first black animator, is also going to be on board. So it's shaping up to be a great show and we'll certainly keep you posted once we have a I have more details to come, but uh, uh, we're planning on mid-October for that. Excellent. I, and um, what I'll do is I'll stick the the link to the panel uh, with Bob uh, in our in our show notes, so anyone listening can can go and uh, visit that. Um, I just wanted to kind of just go back briefly to your previous film and, and just ask, you know, making Dreamfinders uh, and the experience of that. What did you learn from from making that film, and you've kind of taken away uh, when making this film? 
Well, you know, Dreamfinders, again, was like my first kind of go at it uh, to do a Disney type of film. Um, I think what I learned from Dreamfinders more than anything um, is to really be uh, be true to what your original vision was. Uh, my original vision of Dreamfinders sort of took a uh, turn as I began to you know, have more people involved in, in the film. Um, and it did skew a little bit from what my original intention was. Um, I don't think I would ever do another film like Dreamfinder, uh, like Dreamfinders. Uh, I think, you know, what I learned from Dreamfinders is really what I'm more interested in is the historical uh, significance uh, of what Walt learned and what he did during his time here. And, uh, you know, my goal is to, is to, I want the world to know, you know, that there was a guy named Walt Disney. It was just not just a corporation. Mm. Uh, there's a, there's a guy named Walt Disney who believed in himself when everybody told him, don't do it. He knew that it was, that he was right. He knew he believed in himself. It's a great lesson for everyone. Um, you know, to this day, Google will not. Uh, do a Google Doodle on Walt Disney's birthday. Uh, they seem to honor every other artist, uh, dead or alive, in the world, but they will not honor Walt Disney's birthday. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe they. I mean, there are some rumors back in the day uh, that fester around that say that Walt Disney was anti-Semitic. He was a racist, uh, which is nonsense. When I asked. Uh, uh, Richard Sherman about that. He just flat out said that's poppycock, and, <laughs> and I just had a laugh because uh, you know that's that's the perfect. I mean, I, I, poppycock I believe is a pretty British term term to use, um, and uh, Richard having you know done uh, so much work uh, in in uh, the UK, I think it was it was really a perfect response. Mm. Uh, you know, Walt Disney hired the first. The Sherman Brothers, Jewish uh, songwriting team, Floyd Norman, first black animator. Um, uh, but for some reason, you know, people like Google and some of the, uh, you know, more kind of uh, socialist organizations, I think, tend to um, tend to, you know, they just for some reason fall back on that. Why wouldn't you honor Walt Disney? I mean, look at what he look at what he did in his life. I mean, certainly more than most people have done in ten lifetimes, and the and the joy and the happiness he brought. So, uh, I'd love to get a uh, petition going and see if we can right that wrong. Yeah, I, it's like I never even considered to be honest. And like you, I mean, you know, I, I've heard various things uh, about Walt, Walt true or false. Um, you know that's one of them. Uh, you know, he's married to Lillian about how young she was when that happened, all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, is that we're talking about you know a different time, a completely different time, and that doesn't excuse you know even even if it turned out he was uh, racist or anti-Semitic or anything anything like that, um, it was a different time and it wasn't. It, it, we don't understand the context like we do now. Um, you know, as we recording this I totally, episode, I totally, I totally agree with that, Nick. I totally agree. It was it was the fifties. 
it was the 40s and the 50s, and this is when, uh, and again, not not trivializing what was going on with race and anti-Semitism, but, you know, the culture of most people, because most of them were non-informed, hmm. were such that, um, that everybody kind of had a little bit of that in them. Um, and I'm sure Walt was no exception, but I think he's proved himself, you know, by engaging uh, you know, so many, uh, I mean, he hired women and people to say, well, the women weren't animators. Well, he had women doing ink and paint, um, in roles that were, that women never did. I mean, normally women were out there, you know, so, doing sewing jobs and cleaning and house cleaning jobs. Well, look uh, at, uh, Mary, Mary Blair. Right. You know, right. Perfect example. There's another great example, you know, Mary Blair, what a great artist. Um, and he knew that, um, you know, he just gave everybody a shot. But, but he gave you a shot if you were capable. You know, if you were, if you were someone who was, needed a job and you just weren't capable, you, you know, that was going to be the end of that conversation. Uh, the story goes, Roly Crump told me um, when they were doing Small World, he originally had Mark Davis design the characters for Small World. Uh, and this is after Mary Blair had already kind of retired. Um, and Walt was not really liking, uh, Mark Davis's, uh, designs for the characters on small world. And he, and he said to Roly, well, you know, what's Mary Blair doing? Let's get her back in here. So. And the rest is history. I mean, those designs are so iconic. Uh, that style of work is so iconic. I mean, you still get um, books of her work, her oh. art, you know, because it's... Very playful, mm. very playful, fun, um, you know, that big uh, that big um, uh, painting, well, it's not really a painting, but it's more like a, uh, I don't know what you'd call it in the contemporary resort. That's like all a mural. Mary... A mural, yeah. yes, thank you. Uh, that's all Mary Blair and you look at her work and you know that it's Mary Blair, you know, it's her specific style and Walt Disney saw that she was, um, somebody who was very capable and was on the same page as her and whether she was a woman, a man or a chimpanzee, it didn't matter. She was doing the job the way that he wanted it done. And, you know, she, and now her history is cemented in with um with not only americana but you know with um with just the history of walt disney and and anything that she had done in the past is now being recognized so he, he really spread spread it around and i just did not like the idea uh that the pbs documentary focused so much on that negative you know they talk about how he was an ornery guy and he was sometimes not a happy guy well guess what you don't build you know a kingdom uh, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, you don't build something so successful by being a nice guy all the time, you know. Well, look at it, Steve Jobs. I know it's a different thing completely, but, you know, you look at Steve Jobs and, and how his vision at Apple has changed the way that we all do things on a day-to-day -day basis. And he was looked upon by many people, including myself, as almost like a visionary, a visionary of like the Walt Disney kind of uh, level, um, and you know, people you speak to about him will say, "Yeah, he was pretty much an arsehole. Um, no question. But no question. you know, um, when I asked Bob and Roly about that, um, 
they had told me that, you know, they mentioned Steve Jobs, but they also mentioned Steve Wynn of yep. uh, the Wynn Hotels in Las Vegas and also Steven Spielberg, who were who were two of the closest characters that they can compare to Walt Disney because they were very hands-on. Uh, they were very much involved on the ground level. They wouldn't ask, you know, he... Like Walt Disney wouldn't ask his one of his managers to give him a report on how you know such and such project was coming along. He would just go out there and 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 walk up to the workbench and see what everybody was doing. Um, and that's how Jobs was. That's how Steve Wynn. That's how Spielberg was. They were very on the ground floor. You know, boots on the ground. They were part of that. Um, that's I think why. You know, when you think about those types of personalities, you know, why they were so successful. Um, not many people can, can, you know, can wear that hat. No. Well, I don't think we should compare Walt Disney with Steve Wynn uh, at this current time um, with what's going on. But, no. Yeah, I, no, that's true. That's but, true. But, but, but yeah. as, far as, as far as a work ethic goes. Absolutely. Meaning. Yeah, no, 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 spot on, spot on. Um, look, just before we, we wrap up, and thank you so much for your time, um, but, uh, you know, where are you now with the film? And when do you think it might be uh, finished? Well, I, I am shooting for after the first of the year. I had originally said the end of 2018. But I think realistically, uh, we could probably have something probably, uh, you know, January or February of 2019. Uh, and just because, you know, it's, you know, the money that we raised in celebration was great. Um, the licensing costs, uh, that Disney could potentially charge me for using some of this archival footage, uh, could really, uh, put me in the poor house. Um, but it's the production costs more than anything. Uh, I'm doing a lot of the editing myself, which is what I do for a living anyway. So that works out really well. Hmm. Um, you know, directing and producing and editing, uh, but a lot of the motion graphics, I mean, I could do the motion graphics too, but you know, it takes a team really to do something spectacular. And I have some really great people. I have some incredible cinematographers working with me, um, bringing these beautiful visions to life. And that's really what I, uh, what I'm shooting for is to, is to, you know, you would ask me earlier, uh, you know, what did I learn from dream finders? What I really learned was uh, was to not sacrifice quality. Uh, Dreamfinders was, I, I thought, beautifully shot, but, um, you know, I don't, I did Dreamfinders almost completely by myself. You know, I didn't have any eyes on that project at all uh, prior to it being released, uh, other than myself. And, you know, with this Walt Disney Master of Dreamers, so many of these people have contributed so much of their time and their, um, uh, just their inspiration. Uh, I want to make sure that this really pays tribute to all of them. Uh, it's really, really important to me that this be a film for the people and also to encourage and to inspire people who didn't really know who Walt Disney was. I meet people all the time. And when I get talking, like we're talking today, uh, you know, you can, you can tell they're mesmerized because people don't truly know who he was or what he did i mean we do but you know you take go back a generation 
And, uh, you know, it starts to, you know, it starts to kind of fade away. It's like, you know, people walk into a Marriott hotel. They don't know that there was actually a guy named Marriott, you know, who created this incredibly successful chain of hotels or Hyatt or anything like that. But it's important for me for the legacy of Walt Disney to continue on and to really paint a truer picture and a more positive picture than what the PBS show did. Uh, I think Walt deserves that. No, I, I think a hundred percent. You know, I think we can safely say that, you know, even if that release date slips, you're still going to be uh, finished before the next Avatar film comes out. So uh, <laughs> at least that's a positive, I suppose. But uh, yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Again, the Facebook page was Master of Dreamers Movie, did you say? Yeah, Master of Dreamers Movie. Um, and if, uh, or they can just, if you just get on Facebook and you just search Walt Disney Master of Dreamers, you'll, uh, you'll come up with it. And uh, you can, uh, you can watch the, uh, the two hour, two and a half hour presentation that we did there. Again, it was a great show. Um, and, uh, I will, uh, I will be uh, sending you some other links that you can, that you can pass out to your audience that I think, uh, you know, it's this way they could watch a preview of the trailer. Cause there is a, a preview of the trailer, mm. um, currently just on Vimeo. If you go to Vimeo.com and just type in Walt Disney master of dreamers, you'll uh you'll see the link there for the uh it's about a five minute uh sizzle reel uh and you'll uh you'll get a, a nice taste of what we're trying to do here yeah no absolutely uh you know the project sounds amazing i'm really glad you gave us uh some of your time to talk about it and uh yeah we cannot wait for the finished product well it's coming nick uh you know and i again i really appreciate you having me on i i really enjoy talking to you i can i can feel your passion for this kind of thing and i can imagine um you know being there in the uk and uh seeing all this stuff happening here in central florida and, and california uh i can imagine how much you must uh you must uh, yearn for for visiting more frequently than than maybe what you have in the past but um you know just want to let you know that uh anything you need down here you please let me know and um don't hesitate to give me a call. Uh, I'd be happy to, to help you in any way I can. I think uh, your show is great, and uh, I, I love what you're doing. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. And uh, thank you for t- your time today, and we will certainly have you back uh, near the film's release. Sounds great. Well, wasn't he great? Um, I always love having Tony on. I think he's got some fascinating stories. I think a new documentary sounds great and i really cannot wait for it to be finished so thank you again tony and um yeah we'll love to have you back on uh, in the future um one thing i forgot to mention when i was talking about solo earlier was uh, i went to see it in a cinema called 4dx um now i think there are a few of these in uh, in the states now uh, i've got a fair few of them in the uk but as the name suggests it's watching a film in a seat that doesn't just uh, move in time with the film, but it kind of moves left and right, up and down, uh, tilts you backwards and forwards. Uh, has sensed that it sprays uh, 
when things happen in the film. Water effects, rain effects, wind effects. It was a bit like being on a simulator for two hours. It was like going to watch Star Tours, but instead of like seeing a three-minute film ride, you watch the entire film, um, which might be a bit much for some people, but it was perfect for this film. Um, it was also in 3D, which I normally love, but because of the, the nature of the, the cinema and the fact that you might be tilted at, at times and stuff like that, um, it ghosted an, an awful lot. So um, I would recommend going to watch a film in 4DX, absolutely. Um, but don't see a 4DX film in 3D would be my advice. I think, unless you really want to. It's worth the money anyway, definitely worth the money as the experience. Um, but anyway, that's it. That's it for this week's episode of, of Diz After Dark. Um, apologies to those listeners that don't like the sound of my voice because you hear it the whole way through and, and other than Anthony, uh, that that's it. Um, so if you've stuck around, thank you, I appreciate it. Um we were going to do a team show, but trying to get everyone together, it was just really hard this week. And I didn't want to hold back on this interview with Anthony because I, I just thought it was so good. I wanted to get it out there as soon as possible. So uh, I hope you agree. Um, I hope you found it as enjoyable and as fascinating as I did. And um, can't wait for the finished product and can't wait to speak to him again. Um, so that said, thank you for listening. Um, you know, please check out our other shows. Uh, Universal After Dark with the the wonderful Amanda does cracking work over there. I'm sometimes on it. Uh, there's also Strike the Marvel podcast hosted by our own P Dubs. Uh, if you love Marvel, that is the show for you. Uh, you know, they talk everything Marvel and they're great at what they do. Um, on this particular feed at the moment you can find pop after the dark with my buddy Waitu, uh my real life best friend uh, where we dissect films and pop culture and we did a review episode last week of deadpool 2 where you really get to hear how i feel about that film and and he if you think my opinion is bad listen to his um and also as well as part of the network we've got ego hosted by craig um put a cracking episode out this week with um with theme park trader podcast and their new podcast the customers always weird so uh that's quite an irrelevant podcast we talk about all manner of things on there uh but if you want something just entertain you for an hour give that a go i'm sure you'll like it um thank you all for your support uh via patreon or by commenting to us or sending us emails all of it is greatly appreciated um so thank you and we'll be back with a more regular Disaster Dark very soon. Hello there, dear listener. Now, have you ever listened to a podcast and thought, oh, I'd really like to support those guys, but I just don't know how to do it? <laughs> well, then you're in luck. There are now two ways for you to be able to support us. The first is by going to our Spreadshirt page at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash after dark network here you can pick up t-shirts for all of the podcasts that we do the other way is by visiting us at patreon.com forward slash dis after dark that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash dis after dark any money raised by buying some merchandise or pledging your support on patreon means that we can keep producing more content for the after dark network
on behalf of the other After Dark Podcast Network hosts, we thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and thank you for your continued support. Podcast is part of the After Dark Podcast.